And so Daniel 12, if you have your Bibles, you can open there. If you recall, last week, in fact, the last couple weeks, this is Daniel's last vision. Last week, the vision had ended, but it... There's a little more stuff. So the, the, the characters involved in the vision, uh, the ones who are delivering this, they're still present there. And so this is wrapping up that moment with Daniel. So it begins this way. Daniel's standing here among these heavenly figures. And verse 5 says this. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on, his, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. So there's three, right? One on one side, one on the other, and one in the middle. How, one, on the, one on the ends is saying to the, to the one in the middle, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? Now that's a peculiar question. I want to stop there as we're working through this. He was just given all these different details about the different conquerors who were going to come during the time here uh, leading up to what would be a... Uh, the portrayal of a future Antichrist. We discussed this last week and other weeks as it related to the passage. They were just explaining how there's going to be this havoc that's rained on God's people. Evil is going to be present everywhere. And rather than the question being, hey, when is this going to happen? It was, what? Did you catch that unique question? How long will this time of anguish last? Now, that question parallels another question in chapter 8. I'm going to read this for you. We don't have it on the screen, but just listen to the similarities here. Daniel says, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. All right, so this is a question that's been asked with the other visions as well, and here we have it again. Well, the answer is not spoken as a quote, more, more as a, a you know, description. But verse seven says this. Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and he raised his left hand toward the heaven and he swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. All right, there's a lot there. Let's unpack this a little bit. Like the chapters before, we read this unique phrase, a time of times and a half time. This represents three and a half years. According to Daniel chapter nine, it seems to be there will be a seven-year period in the last days known as the tribulation. This time period begins with a seven-year covenant that the Antichrist makes. And halfway through, so three and a half years in, he breaks the covenant, and then a horrible time of suffering ensues for the remaining three and a half years. And that time is known as the Great Tribulation. The gospel accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that the suffering will be unlike any other previous time in human history. One author said if God did not plan to intervene and rescue his holy people, they would be utterly annihilated in this moment. And so this tribulation will be so dire that everyone will be questioning how long will this last? Think about the times that you're in pain. Just, and it could be a relational thing. It could be literal physical pain. Something happens and it, just, it hurts. And you're just like waiting for this moment to end. Say, say like a physical injury or something, a broken arm or whatever it may be. It just feels like it's going on forever and ever and ever. Well, this sort of pain that we're talking about here when you're in pain, it just seems like time stops and it lasts and lingers. Three and a half years, while incredibly brief on a, on a, on a timetable in our own lives maybe, that feels awful in the midst of a tribulation like no other experience has happened in human history. 
The temptation will be to believe that God has forgotten his people. The temptation will be to believe that God has been unfaithful in his protection or his provision of his people. And that's why it's so interesting that this figure, the one that's floating over the stream, does what he does. He raises both hands. Well, in the Old Testament, you'd raise your right hand if you take an oath. And so the assumption here is he raises both to symbolize that this is a guarantee, an eternal assurance that what God is saying will be true, that it will only last for three and a half years. In the midst of that sort of persecution, we'll be asking how long, or those on the earth will be asking, how long will this last? We have a guarantee, three and a half years. A few weeks ago, if you recall, when we were looking at chapter 10, we discussed how this figure might be Jesus Christ himself. And if true, then that would play into this whole idea of this assurance and this, this pledge that was stated. One theologian said, the sovereign Lord of the universe is promising directly and emphatically that the Antichrist's horrors perpetuated upon God's people and the whole world will last but a brief time, three and a half years. And this will happen after when the text says about holy people, right? What happens to them? They are broken. When the holy people are broken, then Jesus will return and he will conquer. And that brokenness, it harkens back to the cross. If you think about this, the cross is where Jesus died and it was at that moment that sin was conquered. And so in the similar way, the holy people, they will be broken and then Jesus will return and he will conquer. Well, likewise with the cross as we think about the past 2,000 years ago. That is where Jesus' body was broken on our behalf. I love how Colossians 2 says this. I didn't put this in the, in the notes for, uh, on the screen, but listen to this from the, New, from the New Living Translation. Colossians 2, 13 to 15 says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it all the way by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Boom. All right, so what is Daniel's response to this conversation among the heavenly figures? Well, verse eight, he says this. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? All right, Daniel, he wants to know more. And if you've been tracking with us this last 13 weeks or so, here you have Daniel. He's been privy to all sorts of information that uh, all of us combined have not received as far as visions from the Lord, precise in certain ways, uh, symbolic in other ways, uh, very um, just fantastical in, in, in regarding certain visions. And he wants to know a little more. And if I'm Daniel, I'm thinking, all right, you've already given me like 90%. Can I get the other 10? But that's not what happens here. Listen to the response. We're gonna read this whole section. He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from that time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that it makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is, the, blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and stand in your allotted place at the end of days. All right, that's how chapter 12 ends and the whole book ends. Well, in this little section, there's a few things. Let's talk through these as we're finishing out this whole book. What a sense of completion there is with this. 
we begin here with there's this juxtaposition, which I love that word for this particular thing because of how distinct these two groups are. You have those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous, those who believe God versus those who are wicked. You have those, again, who are devoted to God and they will be purified and they will be ready for their bridegroom to return. And they stand in contrast to the deniers, the deniers of the gospel who will live wickedly and remain spiritually blind in their foolishness. It reminds me how in the first century you have those Jews who spent time with Jesus and some of them believed, like the disciples and others, but others didn't believe. They literally saw Jesus do miracles. They heard about all that he did and yet they still denied. And if you're like me, I read that and think, how could that be? Well, in the same way that it happened then and it happens today in certain ways, well, in this future moment here, you have people, they will choose to stay in their stubbornness and unfortunately, that sin will have eternal consequences. They will be... Uh, before their eyes, all these different events and, and moments that for us, uh, we would look with this and say, this is God's work at hand. But for others, they will be blinded. In this moment of the biblical timetable, the two groups will no longer be indistinguishable, uh, such as we have today, right? No more Christians in, incognito. Believers will be known by their allegiance to Christ and the subsequent persecution that goes along with their belief. With that said, we are reminded of the principle that has been taught throughout Daniel, but we see it again one last time here, and so we're gonna have one more push regarding this topic, and that is enduring through persecution. All of us have persecution in different ways, like on a... a, Personal, individual, family sort of scale, maybe family to family, uh, workplace stuff, school dynamics. You know, I went to public school growing up, and there would be different moments, and I'd be like, you know, that can, that's kind of like a form of persecution. And regardless of where you're at on that, we, we see that in moments. Well, in this particular case, in this particular time of the Great Tribulation, those who are believers and are alive on earth, they will endure it in the worst of ways in which they will even question God. Have you forgotten? How long will this last? Is this even possible? Why is this happening? And to those Christians who are alive at that time, I would remind them of 1 Peter 4. Verse one starts off this way. It says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And if you keep working through 1 Peter 4, by the time you get to verse 12, it says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We're reminded to endure through persecution. No matter where it is on the scale of maybe a very small small or specific moment that you're dealing with, or that we would all as a congregation or as a nation or as a globe endure. Let us persevere. According to these final words in Daniel, the suffering will begin when the Antichrist abolishes worship and then he sets up the abomination of desolation. This is a time period that will be for 1290 days and then an extra 45 days after that is mentioned. The exact numbers mentioned are difficult to discern a lot of different theories on what these mean in, in different ways because they don't add up specifically to three and a half years. But we are reminded 
and, and I, I, I want us to land on this final statement about being blessed. Blessed uh, if you persevere because you will be about to, uh, you're about to join Christ as he perfectly rules and reigns. In a moment, we'll look at the last section, but when it comes to perseverance, uh, the temptation will be, in the midst of all that, to abandon ship. And there are traces of that that we have even today in our own life, in our own, um, say, local context, our own experience. Think of these times where you have felt the enemy pulling on you, tugging on you to just walk away from it. It tends to happen if there is a... Um, uh, sort of personal crisis, and uh, the outcome is not what we may have been praying for, whether tragedy or just hurt from certain people. My urging to you as you read this whole chapter and in First Peter 4 and the words of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke when he talks about the end times and just, you know, what will be happening there. I urge you to persevere through it. Uh, use, the, use the little moments that you have now to prepare yourself for even worse persecution down the road that may happen. We don't know. Oh, I feel like there's so much more to say to that, but I might have to wait till the next service. No, I'll share some of it now. I normally want more time for it to cook a little bit, but... <laughs> Bake it in the oven a little bit longer. But in this moment, I'll share some of this too. One of the things I love to do is read church history because you read about all these followers of Christ. Uh, in the, particularly the first 500 years and then definitely around like, you know, 1400 to 1700. And you read about how they endured awful situations. And... I read these situations in, in these mini biographies of these followers of Christ, brothers and sisters of the faith who've lived the last 2,000 years. I read their stories to remind me that part of the heritage of our faith is to persevere. Now, I know I sound like a broken record when I'm saying that, but the reality is for most of us, if we get like a spiritual hangnail, we're gonna wanna run. And that is not what we are called to. We are called to not just lean, but throw ourselves upon the cross every day and the strength and the grace of Christ that he gives us. You literally are joining Christ in his sufferings. Paul talked about this in Philippians 3, urging believers and the readers of his letter to rejoice in this and to join Christ in his sufferings. So you, you, you lean on Christ every day rather than trusting your own self, which it's not gonna work if you try that. You, you embrace the Holy Spirit who's alive and at work within you. He will strengthen you through the worst of anything. This is why you have people who are being burned at the stake being able to sing hymns and um, you know, like uh, cry out like... Um, final exhortations to their family members and stuff. And so embrace the Holy Spirit who's alive and at work within you to strengthen you. 
And then and I say a third one is read scripture. You know, you want to read it and fill your mind because it'll give you clarity on what's happening around you because the chaos and the pain, it'll be so traumatic that you won't be able to even like process it. And so allow God's word to guide you through it. It reminds me a lot of like, if you have an injury, a physical injury, and um, if you go to uh, the ER or even um, an ambulance or something, somebody's working on you, they know what they're doing, so they're working with you, but you just like are in a form of shock. Well, scripture is is like a guide through that sort of persecution shock. And so again, the, even the, the idea of leaning on Christ's strength every day, the Holy Spirit at work within you and, and God's word, those are, those, are, those are like a compass in the dark. But I'll tell you, whether it's with a small form of persecution, and I say small just in contrast to the Great Tribulation, or something that is uh, just devastating, un- unfamiliar, something that you, you, you just have not gone through personally or that we have not gone through as a congregation, whatever it may be, I urge you to persevere through it. Uh, I, I urge you as like a legacy, legacy church family to be the kind of church that would persevere through unparalleled persecution. All right, that's my like pastoral exhortation. Uh, let's, let's finish out this, uh, this chapter on this. And then you see these last statements to Daniel. Go, go your way. It's, he's told that twice. Go your way to the end here. And the last verse says, and you shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Today we might use a phrase like this, peacefully enjoy the remaining days of your life. You know, even to this faithful Old Testament saint, God did not share everything. He held back some things and he said to Daniel, just go your way. Daniel is assured that he does have an allotted eternal inheritance. Daniel knows this involves his future bodily resurrection, as we studied last week. Because if you recall, the beginning of chapter 12, there's the mentioning of the everyone will awaken. And some, it says verse 2, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There is a bodily uh, resurrection and the human race gets divided between those who are devoted to God, believed in God, and, uh, and covered by the atonement of Christ's blood, and then those uh, who denied. And this, this moment of, of, uh, for, for Daniel regarding this allotted place and this secured inheritance, this reminds us as believers of Ephesians 1, which says, in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and then you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There is a future inheritance that we will receive. We don't have it yet. We can have the Holy Spirit at work within us, which is amazing. He sealed us. I mean, that's, that, that alone is fantastic. But there is a future inheritance for us. And Daniel was reminded of that. And in this moment, another, throughout the whole book of Daniel, we see all these different moments where Daniel's life models something to us, a principle for us, and we see a final one here with Daniel. It's a great way to finish out this book. He ends well. It's an ending well, a satisfied with a life fully lived, faithful, and devoted to God. And in this moment, holding to the promise that God has given of a resurrection and a new life one day.
to finish out this, this like explanation of this chapter, I want to read for you, and I didn't put it on the screen. I should have for you because it's lengthy, but it's a sweet capstone to this chapter. And this one theologian, I looked at several different commentaries in this series. One of them was by a guy named Paul House. And House wrote this. He says, the author closes by reminding readers that everlasting life lies beyond days, weeks, months, and years of suffering. Perseverance will be rewarded. Sufficient and appropriate knowledge of the future resides in all who believe God raises the dead. They know resurrection resolves all hopes, dreams, visions, and disappointments. When God raises his people, his kingdom will finish rising from the ground to destroy all wicked kingdoms. It will rise to its full glory and all idols will be toppled. God's will will then be done on earth as it is in heaven. Daniel can rest then, knowing that he will stand before the greatest king. And the book commends this promise to every subsequent faithful, persevering reader. Friends, Daniel this book has wonderfully instructed our church. And here with us, even this final moment, it's an encouragement to us. Uh, this is uh, within, I want to share something that it sounds uh, maybe even morbid on its, um, on its own, but I think in context you'll understand where I'm coming from. In light of this final statement to Daniel and what we see in, in biblical descriptions of our physical body failing. Uh, every year, somebody in our church family passes away. Uh, somebody here may not be here next year at this time because your body will have failed. But when we read Daniel and when we read the rest of Scripture, we realize that the end of our story is not at that moment and that our body doesn't stay in the grave. In fact, we are with Christ if we believe in him. It's a wonderful promise of stepping out of this earth and being at home with our God who loves us and has called us and we can finally be perfectly united with him. And so we, are, we conclude with a fantastic challenge uh, for those of us who are followers of Christ. I remind each of you of the wonderful joy we see in scripture of the outcome of being a believer in Christ and that is perfect united, uh, uniting with our God in the heavenly realms until the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem are built as Revelation describes. And so here we have just the wonderful reminder that this earth is not our home. All the pursuits we have they, uh, that are earthly, uh, we don't take with us. And what we pursue for God's glory will reap heavenly rewards. What a wonderful promise. And then on the flip side of this, along with what we see in chapter 12, verse two, regarding some, uh, those who awaken and are not believers, they will awaken to shame and everlasting contempt. Well, we are reminded of the importance of our decisions on earth today. They have eternal consequences regarding our belief in Jesus Christ. Where do you stand before your eternal judge? Are you confident where you will be one day. We know with scripture, one of the wonderful things we have is an assurance. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? That's in scripture. It's truth. Do you call upon the name of the Lord? Not just with your words, but with your heart. 
not something that your parents made that decision, not a decision that I've made as a pastor, but for you. Do you personally believe that? We are reminded of the weight of that sort of decision. And there we have Daniel. Uh, Maddie, while you and the team, you guys come on up here to lead us in this final one, uh, this, this final song here. Uh, while, while we sing this, I want us to use this as a moment to uh, do some personal evaluation before the Lord. Specifically regarding what I was just saying, where do you stand before him eternally? But then even thinking about the entire book of Daniel that we just read. All these different attributes, these different stories. Is there a particular story that has stood out to you from the whole book? Or a particular takeaway, one of the visions maybe, or what, it, what, it, what the principle intertwining that, like Daniel's prayer and fasting. If there's a particular uh, story or principle that really has just stood out to you the last 12, 13 weeks, or you have seen it applying in your life, you have needed it, uh, you've been running with it all, all summer, Whatever that is, I encourage you to use this final song just to reflect on that, how God gave you some instruction at some point this summer from this book, and he has used that on a daily or a weekly basis to strengthen you in your faith, whatever it may be, you know, just using this time to reflect back to him. And uh, let me pray. I want to pray a prayer of thankfulness for this series.